Well, it is so good to see you here today, and we trust that the Lord will give us a wonderful service together. If you have your Bible, you turn to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. All right, I guess we can dismiss some of the kids to their children's church. I think it's fifth and sixth grade, and uh, they can be dismissed, and they can, they can head out. Our team is going to handle uh, that children's uh, service this morning. Hebrews chapter 3, and we're going to take a look at a passage of Scripture, really just one verse, and use this as our jumping-off point uh, for this morning. Hebrews chapter 3, and uh, we'll read verses, uh, verse number 13, we'll pray, and then we'll ask the Lord to help us during our time together. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 13. God inspired these words, but exhorting one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Let me read the verse one more time. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Of sin. I want to preach a very simple message this morning entitled, The Power of Sin. Father, thank you for what you're going to do this morning. And we pray that you would crowd out distractions of the day. Father, I pray you would bind the devil, defeat him from working in this place. And God, would you just superintend for us? Would you allow Bible truth to be evident? Would it be a help? Father, would people in this room who may not know you, they're on their way to hell, damn forever, that today would they see the truth and you tell us you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. You said that in John chapter 8. And so, Father, I pray you would help me as I lift up Jesus. He said, oh, draw all men unto himself. Father, so I'm praying something supernatural would take place in this building this morning, that, Father, you would save those who are lost, Lord, that you would take off the blinders off of their eyes that the devil has put on them in the and expose the lies that they believe that the devil has fed them. And Father, today, would they see the truth, hear the truth, believe it. And Father, would you change them and save them and adopt them into your family. Father, thank you for what only you could do. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. There's a certain man named Larry, and Larry always wanted to fly, but for some reason, Larry was never able to obtain a pilot's license, whether that was because of a physical impairment, maybe poor eyesight, but Larry was never able to obtain a pilot's license, so Larry got the bright idea that he would go down to the local Navy, Army-Navy surplus store, buy 45 weather balloons, fill them all up with helium, tie them to his lawn chair, and then he would get to float in his lawn chair over his yard, thereby getting to do what he always wanted to do, he would get to fly. So that's exactly what Lawn Chair Larry did. He goes down to the local Navy Army surplus store, buys 45 weather balloons, fills them all up with helium, ties it to a lawn chair, and uh, then he goes and, and ties the lawn chair down so that doesn't float away. He goes inside, grabs a glass of, uh, of, of milk, uh, a sandwich, and a BB gun. You say, preacher, why did he grab a BB gun? Well, he had to have a way to get back down. And so he thought he would shoot each balloon one at a time, and that would gently lower him back down to the planet Earth. You see, he had all the angles figured out. So lawn chair Larry runs out there, jumps into the lawn chair, cuts the rope, and starts to ascend up over his house. He was getting to do what he always wanted to do. Man, he was getting to fly. He was having a great time as he ascended up over his house, waving at his neighbor. I'm sure he took out the BB gun, tried to pick off his neighbor's cat. Having a great time. Getting to do always what he always wanted to do. He was getting to fly. The only angle that Lawn Chair Larry didn't plan on is that he would level off at 11,000 feet. 
United Airlines pilot was making his initial approach into the Los Angeles airport. He broke through the clouds. He looked to his left. He saw a guy in a lawn chair with 45 weather balloons waving at him. I would have loved to have been in the radio control tower when this guy radioed down. Uh, hey, this is Flight 88. Um, Ron, our, our initial approach, you're not going to believe this. There's a guy up here at 11,000 feet in a lawn chair with a bunch of weather balloons tied to it. And be careful, he's got a BB gun. I'm sure they thought this pilot was flying drunk, you know, seeing things. And sure enough, here comes the blip on the radar screen of Lawn Chair Larry flying over the Los Angeles airport. He gets caught eventually in power lines. They had to shut grids of city power down. They go up, they make this daring rescue to untangle him and his little aircraft out of all the power lines. They brought him back down to the planet Earth, and when he touched down on the planet Earth, they arrested him and put the handcuffs on him because in his little flight, he had flown through and violated international airspace, which is a felony. Now Lawn Chair Larry's not only a fool, now he's a convicted felon. You know, for Lawn Chair Larry, the stairs didn't go all the way upstairs, if you know what I mean. He was a couple fries short of a Happy Meal. You know, he wasn't the sharpest knife in the drawer, the brightest star in the sky, if you know what I mean. For Lawn Chair Larry, he underestimated the power of those balloons. And man, they took him a whole lot further than he'd ever planned to go, 11,000 feet. It cost him way more than he'd ever planned to pay. So now he's a convicted felon. And it almost cost him his life as he almost died. My friend, this morning, if you underestimate the power of sin in your life, it's going to take you a lot further than you would ever plan to go. And maybe some of you here today, you're involved in sin. You never thought you'd go that far. It's going to cost you more, I promise you, than you're willing to pay. And for some good people in this room, your sin is going to cost you your soul in eternity. I would have you to consider really three facts about the power of sin, and I'm done this morning. Notice, number one, the subtlety of sin's power. The subtlety of sin's power. In other words, sin has the power to deceive. The Bible says in this verse, but exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Hebrews 11 says, choosing rather, speaking of Moses, to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. The Bible tells us, he, he feedeth on ashes, the deceived heart to turn him aside, that he cannot deliver his own soul. In 1 John 1, but it's, we, we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And so if you're an honest student of God's where you can come under no other conclusion that sin has the power to deceive. There are many ways that sin will deceive you, but at least two different ways or two different lies I want to expose this morning that the devil will always lie to you about. There are two different lies that the devil will always try to sell you, two different lies that Satan will always try to get you to believe. Number one, the devil always lies to you about sin's pleasure every time. A verse I just quoted, Hebrews eleven twenty five, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God, then to enjoy, mark that word, the pleasures, mark that word, of sin for a season. You know, folks, the Bible makes no bones about it. You could go out and you could get slammed drunk to, uh, today and there would be some type of pleasure in that. 
You could go out and get involved in, 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 in immorality and be unfaithful to your marriage covenant, your marriage partner. And you know what? There would be, to your spouse, there would be, uh, there would be some type of pleasure in that. The Bible doesn't debate the fact that there is fun and sin, but here's the lie that the devil has gotten maybe many of you to believe, that the pleasure of your sin is going to satisfy you. And friend, there's nothing further from the truth. You see, sin only lasts for a season. There's summer, spring, winter, fall. There's seasons. They come and they go. We just had, uh, we just had football season. They begin and then they end with the Super Bowl. Uh, pitchers and, and, and catchers, they're reporting. We're in spring we're in spring training, and that's the beginning of the baseball season. And you know what? There's an ending in the World Series. There's March Madness with college basketball, one of my favorite sporting, uh, sporting times. And uh, you fill out your brackets, and, and you know there's a beginning, and it ends with the big dance in that March Madness tournament. NASCAR, they race all year long. They never quit, but NASCAR's not a real sport anyway. So I live in Charlotte, North Carolina. We've got several guys in our church that work for the race teams. And so I like taking a poke at NASCAR every now and then. And, but seriously, they have the next hell cup points. There's a season. There's a beginning and there's an end. It doesn't last forever, although hockey seems like that lasts forever. It doesn't last forever. And you know what? So is the pleasure of your sin. It doesn't last. And you know what? The next time you got to go back to it, you got to go a little bit further and then a little bit further and then a little bit further until you're like one lady in our meeting. She said, Ron, I was so far into sin. I don't know how I got there or how I could get out. There was a young man. He walked into a store, pulled out his favorite magazine, the swimsuit edition of Sports Illustrated. As he started to thumb through that wicked magazine, immediately passion rushed his heart. But you know what? After a month, that magazine got old. It didn't give him the kick that it one time did. So then he got involved in some of the pornographic magazines, and immediately as he thumbed through those wicked pages, passion rushed his heart again. But after a month, that magazine got old. It didn't give him the kick that that one time did. And then he got involved in some of the X-rated films and some of the Thrasher films. And you know what? That got old as well until this man's passion led him to go out, rape, and kill over 20 women. This man's name was Ted Bundy. Remember him? And when Ted Bundy was sitting in a Florida State penitentiary, he sat across the table from James Dobson from Focus on the Family, and he said he denied an interview with ABC, CBS, and NBC, but he gave one to James Dobson. He said, Preacher, it all started back when I started to look at something I thought that wasn't that bad, but Preacher, it destroyed my life. Friend, can I tell you Proverbs 27, 20 is still in the Bible. Hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of man are never satisfied. 1 Timothy 5, 6, but she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. 2 Thessalonians 2, 12, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. I'll tell you the exact reason why people in this room, why you won't get saved by the grace of God, why you won't give up your good works, why you won't give up your former lifestyle, why you won't, why you won't, won't trust Jesus as your personal Savior. It's the fact that you love your sin more than you love God. You love your Friday night parties more than you love God. You love your pornography more than you love God. You love your immorality more than you love God. Whatever sin it is, you love more than you love God. You say, preacher, those are big words. Can you back them up? I don't have to. Jesus already did in John chapter 3, verse 19 and 20. 
He said, and this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, that men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds are evil. And the scripture says, and everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. The very fact you don't want to go to church is because you don't want to be under the conviction of the Spirit of God about your sin, about your wicked lifestyle. And you know what? We don't want to come to the light, lest our deeds should be reproved, and we're convicted over those sins. Could I just tell you this morning, there is not one sin on this planet that's worth dying and going to hell for. In a meeting just like this, there was a 16-year-old boy. He was the pastor's son. He was more lost than a goose in a blizzard. He didn't know the Lord Jesus as his Savior. All week long, he just looked down at the floor, didn't even look at the preacher. Finally, on the last night, he had his T-shirt pulled up over his head. As the preaching went on, at the end of the message, that the evangelist invited for those that, that have never placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ to, uh, uh, to slip out the back and do a counsel. And there, and there, they could ask the Lord to be their Savior, and they could trust the Lord, and they could they could receive Christ as their savior and a young man went back into that room and, and before he went back he pulled his t-shirt down the evangelist told me I've never seen such a twisted and contorted look on the face of a young person in my life the evangelist had the opportunity to lead four men to Jesus Christ after that he was leaving the counseling room that that pastor's son the teenage boy he, he motioned with his head like this to the evangelist to step into a room so they could speak privately they stepped into a room. The evangelist shut the door, and the pastor's son, you want, he said, do you want to know what sin it was and almost sent me to hell? He said, I sure would. He said, preacher, I've been with more girls than I have fingers on my hands. He said, preacher, I loved it, and I didn't want to give it up. And my fornication almost sent me to hell. Friend, there's not one sin on this planet that's ever worth hell. For every casual hookup and the one night stand, the next morning, you know what? It's all over. And then you got to go back to it again. And then back to it again. And over and over. And you know what? The pleasure doesn't last. And for some, maybe you're willing to trade a span of moments of 15 minutes for your soul in eternity. Man, there is not any sin on this planet that's worth dying and going to hell for. The Spirit of God whispered into the ear of a man in the New Testament. He says, what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? The devil will always lie to you about sin's pleasure. But number two, sin will always lie to you about sin's penalty. You see, the devil wants you to think you can live however you want and you'll never pay a price. There is nothing further from the truth. You can't engage your flesh to the hill and live however you want and expect never to have any consequences. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. The scripture tells us in Isaiah 33, 11, and I, that's God, will punish the world for their transgression and for their iniquity. There is always a price. Every sin has a price. Maybe you're here today and maybe you've heard the gospel from a family member over and over and over again. Maybe someone sh shared with you out of the Bible how and what God says, how you could have eternal life. And you've consistently done this to God. Would you listen to, listen to God this morning in Proverbs chapter 1? God speaking, because I called and you refused. I stretched forth my hand and no man regarded. But you have said all my counsel, you would, you would none of my reproof. Therefore, I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. 
and when your fear cometh as a desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind then shall they seek me early but they shall not find me then shall they call upon me but I would not answer for that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord therefore they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices you realize God says every time you sin you know what your price is you're going to eat the fruit of your own way you say preacher what does it mean to eat the fruit of your own way i hope this story helps there were two teenage guys in detroit michigan and they were doing something popular in today's youth culture they were huffing butane basically cigarette lighter fluid and they were doing that to catch a buzz off of that uh to get a buzz uh, off of the fumes and and so uh and so one teenager became they were 19 and 20 year old guys one of the teenagers became so euphoric, he forgot what he was doing or so high, he took a cigarette, put it to his mouth, lit a lighter. A testimony of a teenage boy not only 15 feet away from the car, he said four words is all you need to know. It was a Immediately, flames shot up 15 to 20 feet. The car was engulfed in flames. The two young men emerged out of that car literally as human torches. The article that I was reading did not say how, but they managed to dampen the flames down. And they made it to one of the homes of the two teenagers. And they jumped into the shower again. They got the water as cold as they could possibly get it to relieve themselves from their excruciating pain. And they started to take off their jacket and their t-shirt. But what they didn't realize is that they had suffered third degree burns on their entire body. Anybody in the medical profession here this morning They'll, they'll give you witness that the uh, third degree burn, the heat is literally so intense, it melts your clothes into your skin. They jumped into the shower that day. They got the water as cold as they could possibly get it. And as they were trying to relieve themselves from their pain, as they took off their t-shirt and their jacket, they were literally skinning themselves alive. Now, don't miss this. The very thing they loved the very thing they thought would give them pleasure. The very thing they said, nobody's going to tell me how to live my life. I'll do whatever I want is the very thing that destroyed them, nailed them straight to the wall, and they ate the fruit of their own way, and my friend, so will you. Sin always lies to you about its pleasure, and it always lies to you about its penalty. And maybe you're here today, and you have believed the lie of Satan that your sin is going to satisfy you, that you're going to gauge your flesh to the hilt, and you will never pay a price. There's nothing further from the, from, from the truth. There is a price every time you sin, for the wages of sin is death. You say, preacher, why do you preach the way that you do? It's because of point number two. I want you to see, number one, the subtlety of sin's power. Sin is the power to deceive. But number two, I want you to see the sufferings of sin's power. Sin has the power to destroy. I tell you, you jump into my truck, you come with us in our meetings for one month, and you hear what sin is doing to people, I'm telling you, you would preach just like me. For every person in this room that you don't know the Lord is your Savior, the next three things I'm going to describe are going to happen to you and probably have already started for every Christian in this room, that you're dabbling in hidden sin, and there's unconfessed sin in your life, the next two out of the three things I'm going to describe are going to happen to you and probably have already started. The very first way in which sin will destroy your life is that, number one, sin robs a man of his peace and puts men in misery. Isaiah 57, 20 and 21, the wicked are like the troubled sea, which cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, 
Isaiah is using a hypothetical illustration. Have you ever been in the ocean and a wave caught you and just threw you underneath and it just caught you with that current? I remember several years ago, uh, I was, uh, uh, I, w- I, had one of, I had the kids out, out at the beach and we were way out there. That's where the waves are breaking. I was a certified lifeguard and I scuba dive. I'm comfortable in the water. I, we were out there a, a ways and, and this 10 foot wave came and I had, I had one of my kids on a boogie board and I just started to swim kick. We, we couldn't even touch. We were probably in 13, 15 feet or something like that. And there's like a little, there's like a little reef there. That's why the waves are breaking there. But I started to kick and, and push. And I, at the last second, I pushed that boogie board and she caught that wave. And man, rode it like a hundred yards, like like all the way in. I didn't catch that wave perfectly. <laughs> that wave, it took me and threw me down on the bottom of the ocean floor, and and there was sand everywhere, and I was just going head over heels. It's almost like in a washing machine. That's what Isaiah is saying. Life is like to someone who doesn't know the Lord, and you're just tossed all around. You can't make one sense from other. And you know what? There is no peace. Isaiah 58, 9, they have made them crooked paths. Whosoever goeth therein shall not know peace. One of the most wicked men of the 1960s was rock guitarist Jimi Hendrix. If you know anything about Jimi Hendrix, you know that the drugs flowed freely, the women were abundant. It is recorded at the end of Jimi Hendrix's life on stage that he smashed the speaker, he dropped to his knees, he burned his guitar, but here's what they won't tell you. He looked out of a crowd of 15,000 screaming fans. He said, if any of you knew what real peace is, could he come backstage so I'd be able to know? And if any of you know what real peace is, could he come backstage so I'd be able to know? My friend, do you realize not one person in a crowd of 15,000 went backstage to tell Jimi Hendrix what true peace was? And if Jimi Hendrix never trusted Christ in the fleeting moments of his life, then Jimi Hendrix died and he went to hell. And you know what? If J- and, 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 and Jimi Hendrix, again, if he never trusted Christ in those final moments, he died and went to hell. And Ezekiel 37, 25 is still in the Bible. Destruction cometh and they shall seek peace, but they shall find none. The Bible says, a wicked man travailed with pain all of his days. Psalm 107, verse 17, fools, because of their transgressions, are afflicted. Romans 2, 9, tribulation and anguish upon every soul that doeth evil. Listen, there are some people in this room, you have cried yourself to sleep more times than you would even care to admit, thinking, man, there's got to be more to life than this. And there is, and his name is Jesus Christ. Because I'm telling you, for every guy that lifts that beer bottle up to his lips, he's looking for something, and that alcohol you will never find that lasts. For every woman that gets on a social networking website or social media and starts reconnecting with people from her past that, quite frankly, she has no business reconnecting with, she is looking for something in those immoral, immodest relationships she will never find, but you will find it in Jesus Christ. Sin robs a man of his peace. Maybe there are some kids in this room, you've had a moral failure. You wake up in the morning, you comb your hair, you feel like dirt. God never intended you to live that way. You've been robbed. Maybe you can't even walk down the hallway of your school or your community and look across at somebody else because you're ashamed at some of the things that you have done together. Sin robs a man of his peace. But number two, sin robs a man of his physical life. You see, the Bible is very clear in Proverbs chapter 10, the fear of the Lord prolonged days. Hey, you want to live long, you fear God, get saved and obey this book. And you know what? The fear of the Lord prolonged days, but the years of the wicked shall be shortened. 
Ecclesiastes 7:17. Be not over much wickedness, neither be thou foolish. Why shouldest thou die before the time? Psalm 55, 23, but thou, O God, will bring them down into a pit of destruction. Bloody and deceitful men shall not live out half their lives. You know what the fact is? The scripture is very clear over 25 times. You live a life of sin. You reject God and stiff arm him, shake your fist at him. Your life will be cut short, and it will be shorter than what you normally would have lived. And your sin puts men in the grave. It was in a meeting just like this. Two guys seated on the back left. During during the during the music service, what like one we just had, one of the guys took the hymnal out in front of him. He opened it up into the fly leaf, that blank page in the front, he wrote something on it, passed it to his friend. His friend looked at it, wrote his response. He passed it back. The guy that initially started this dialogue, he wrote his response. They looked at it, nodded in agreement. They shut the hymn book, put it back into the pew rack in front of them, and peeled off the back row. They didn't even stay for the preaching. They left the meeting early. It was a wonderful night that night. God had worked in a tremendous way. Many got right with God. Many got saved. A few hours after that meeting, the pastor goes out to the evangelist trailer that was preaching the meeting. He, he knocked on the door. The evangelist came to the door. The pastor said, hey, remember those two guys that were in our service earlier? that left early? He said, I sure do. The pastor said both of them were found dead an hour ago. He said, I'll tell you the story. That night they picked up, they peeled off the back row, they walked out the back doors, they picked up a keg of beer and two other of their wicked friends. All of them were smashed on the alcohol. All of them were drunk probably from a lifestyle like that. They didn't know the Lord Jesus as their savior. They went flying out. This happened up north. They went flying out onto a frozen lake. The driver put the pedal down 80, 90, 100 miles an hour, summoning the back, said now. They pulled up the emergency brakes, sending the car into a tailspin, and they were thrill seekers. They were doing this to increase the buzz of the alcohol. But what they didn't realize is that the lakes don't freeze evenly. There was an ice shift, as they call it, an eight-inch indentation in the ice. And that, I, and that car hit that ice shift at high speeds, flipping the car over several times, killing everybody in the car instantly. The evangelist and the pastor went back into the church. They went back to the same pew that those two guys had been sitting in hours earlier. They pulled out the same hymnal that they had written. And they opened it to the flyleaf. And to their astonishment, they read these words. I'll take my chances if you'll take yours. I'm in. Let's go. They shut the hymnal. They put it back in the pew rack. And listen to me, in one hour, they walked out into man, don't tell me you got 50 years until you die. You don't know. You could have 50 years. You could have five years. Listen to me. You could have five minutes. There's a blood clot that could leave your leg and slam into your brain and your heart, and you could be in the presence of Jesus before you hit this parking lot. This scripture says, what is your life? It's but a vapor that appeared for a little while and vanisheth away. You ever go out in a cold morning and you see your breath and it disappears? God says, welcome to your life. That's a picture of the brevity of life. Life is so short. You don't know how long you've got. Are you really ready right now to stand before an almighty God? Your own works aren't good enough to get you, get you into heaven, going to church and giving money, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of works, 
lest any man should boast. How much clearer do you want God to be? You don't get to heaven based on what you can do. You get to heaven based on what Jesus has already done for you. That's why we need him. But life is so short. And man, you don't know if you have five years, 50 years, or five minutes. And maybe today you're hearing the gospel. And today you're hearing the fact that you're a sinner. And man, this is resonating with you. But you've been hesitant to receive the Lord as your Savior. Could I tell you today is the day of salvation? I was in doing meetings in Greenville, South Carolina, and the pastor and I went out to lunch on Friday, and then on a Friday, we, uh, coming home back to the church, the pastor got lost. Don't ask me how a preacher gets lost in his own hometown, but he did. And I guess there was construction and whatnot. And, and so he looked at me, he says, you know what this means? And I said, well, no, I don't. <laughs> he said, well, we gotta stop and ask for directions how to get back to the main road. We might as well just stop at the first house and ask for directions, but before they give us directions, Let's give them directions how they can get into heaven from what the Bible says. I said, well, sounds good to me, you know. So we just pulled up to the first house. No rhyme or reason. It was just the first house there. We pulled up, went to the door, knocked on the door. A guy in his mid-50s came to the door, and uh, the pastor said, hi, I'm Jack Samargo. I'm pastor of Northside Baptist here in Greenville. This is Evangelist Ron DeGuard. He's preaching in our church this week. Hey, we got turned around because of, because of the construction. We need directions back to the main road. But before you do that, could we give you directions how to get to heaven from what God says? The guy steps back. He says, two Baptist preachers on my doorstep? You got to be kidding me. He said, guys, you'll never believe this, but I've been in prison the last 30 years for murder. I just got out today. I got home 10 minutes ago, and now I got two Baptist preachers on my doorstep? Come on in! And I'm literally behind Jack Samarga, the pastor, going, don't go in there. That guy's just waiting for a Baptist preacher. He probably has like an axe to grind it. Dude, it's like a real one in his basement. Man, I'm, let's, don't go in there. I'm glad we did. We gave that old murderer the gospel, that he had broken God's law, and that he offended a righteous and a holy God, that he wasn't perfect. And even with all of his good works, he fell short of heaven and the glory of God. It didn't take long for the Spirit of God to convince him of that. And he was so broken, he knew that he was a sinner on his way to hell. I said, sir, today, would you trust Christ as your Savior? He said, listen, I've been in prison for 30 years. I've been deprived a lot of pleasure i'm going to go out on saturday and i'm going to get my pleasure but i promise you i'll come to that baptist church on sunday morning i said pre i said please do not make that mistake what if you don't make it to the baptist church on sunday and i gave him all the verses i gave you about the brevity of life and uh you know what no you're not uh, that your life is but a vapor it appeared for a little while and vanished it away. The scripture says, today is the day of salvation. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart. And I gave him all of these verses. And, and he says, preacher, I'm going to go out. I'm going to get my pleasure. And then I promise you on Sunday, I'll come get Jesus. He never made it to the Baptist church on Sunday. He had been leaving the bar in which he had been drinking at Saturday night. He pulled out and was hit by a drunk driver at over 90 miles an hour. He didn't even know what hit him. No time to call upon God. It sent him right out into eternity. And you know what the fact is? You don't get saved on your timetable. You get saved on God's. And you may have come this morning not planning on meeting God. Oh, but he came planning on meeting you. And your sin, it robs the man of his peace. And your sin, it robs the man of his physical life. And you continue to go down the road you're going on. Your sin is going to send you to a devil's hell. 
And it doesn't have to be out there getting drunk and being immoral. Maybe you lusted in your heart, or you were envious of somebody else, or maybe you've gotten angry, or you've been bitter. It only takes one sin to damn your soul for all eternity. Sin is the power to deceive. It lies about its pleasure and its penalty. Sin is the power to destroy. And you know what? It, 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 it robs the man of his peace. It puts men uh, in the grave. But number three, it puts men. Another way that sin robs a man and how sin destroys your life, it puts men in hell. Ezekiel 18, 4, the soul that sins, it shall die. Psalm 9, 17, the wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God, excuse me, America is not excluded. And we're not untouchable. And we were founded on Christian principles, and righteousness exalts the nation, but sinners are approached to any people, and we continually going down the road, America collectively, that we're going down. I'm telling you, that judgment, it's, all, it's not the fact, will God judge America? It's the question is, why hasn't he already done it already? And God is gracious and he's merciful and he's giving you a chance for you to repent of your sin and for you to turn to him. But sin always robs a man of his soul. The soul that sins, it shall die. One time cursing, your soul is sinned and you must die. One time taking God's name in vain, your soul is sinned and you must die. One time getting angry. One time looking at pornography. One time shaving the truth to put yourself in a better light than what you really were. One time taking God's name in vain and reducing it to a four-letter curse word to express anger, frustration, or disgust. One time sinning is enough to damn you for all eternity and a lifetime of works cannot help you. The thief that was nailed to the cross, he said, Lord, remember me. He said, today you'll be with me in paradise. What good work did that guy do? He could only depend on who the Lord was and what he was doing for him. That's how you get to heaven. Do you see it? You see, Ron, what's the worst thing about sin is that sin robs a man of his peace. Oh, no. Ron, it's the worst thing about sin is that sin robs a man of his physical life. Oh, no. The worst thing about sin is that sin robs a man of his soul and puts men, women, and young people in a place called hell. And maybe for some here today, you've never been saved by the grace of God. Hell will no longer be a four-letter curse word. It's going to be your address for the rest of eternity. Now listen to me, I beg, if you've listened to nothing that I've said this morning, listen to me now. Because what I'm about to explain may make the difference of where you spend eternity. I want you to see, number three, the shattering of sin's power. You can be delivered. You know, I gave you the bad news. Here's the great news. Not one person in this room has to die and go to hell. Not one of you. You say, preacher, what kind of a loving God would send people to hell? That's a great question. You know what a better question is? What kind of a loving God wouldn't provide a way out? And he did. And you may John, know John 3.16, but you know John 3.17? And, and God sent Jesus into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Because without him, man, you are lost. And John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him, not do good works, believeth in him, shall be saved. It's very simple. Read the text. Let God speak for himself. Don't try to interpret it through what somebody else said. Listen, God made heaven. Don't you think he knows what it takes to get in there? It's his house. He made it. And he said it's through faith only in Jesus Christ and not through your own good works. I'm going to give you one verse, two illustrations, and I'm done. Here, here, here's, uh, here's the verse, 1 John 3.10. <clears throat> Herein is love. 
Not that we love God, but that God loved us and sent him or Jesus to be the propitiation for our sins. You say, hang on a second, preacher. You just used a $50 church word. I don't have a clue what it means. What's propitiation? Propitiation simply means a substitute that satisfies. A substitute that satisfies. I'm not a huge baseball fan, uh, but I cheer for the Atlanta Braves. I grew up in Atlanta uh, growing up, and, you know, I would cheer for the Braves. In fact, one of the Braves players, Sid Bream, who played first base, I don't know if you remember, uh, they, they call it the year that Sid slid. He was a first baseman. He was coming around the bases, and he's, he's not really fast, and he slid into home plate, and he was saved. There's a, th- a throw at the plate. He was safe, and that sent him to the World Series. He went to our church. I always used to tell him TV made him look fat, and, uh, and he was just a great guy, and, 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 and he knew the Lord as his Savior, and, uh, and uh, so, so I, just, I just cheer for the Braves, but let's say the Braves are playing the dreaded Yankees. I hate the Yankees. All of my family is from Brooklyn and Queens. They were all Dodger fans back in the 50s, before the Dodgers split and went to L.A., and so when the Dodgers left, they couldn't, I mean, there were some great teams, the Yankees and the Dodgers, and they just couldn't bear to pull for the Yankees. So they all became Mets fans uh, by default, you know. And, and so, uh, yeah, listen, if you're here and you like the Yankees, it's my message, I could do what I want. So, and, and so I hate the Yankees. So let's say, let's say that, you know, they're, they're Japanese pitcher, overpaid, million-dollar pitcher. You know, he's at the plate, wind-up, kick-pitch delivery. And, you know, Freeman's at the plate for the Braves. And there's a pitch across, bell, across the plate about bell high. And Freeman just cranks on that ball so hard. And let's say A-Rod's still playing. And the ball goes flying right towards A-Rod, but he can't put his glove up fast enough. He should have taken some more steroids. That probably would have helped him. And, and he can't get his glove up fast enough. Can you tell I don't like the Yankees? And, and the ball hits A-Rod's head, knocks him out. He flies back, lands on the ground, and every Boston Red Sox fan stands and cheers all over the country because they don't like the, Reds, the Yankees either. And, and so they're not just, A-Rod's knocked out by a line drive. They're not going to call the game. You know what? They're going to go in. They're going to get a stretcher, put A-Rod on a stretcher, take him to the hospital, care for his needs. And some other overpaid million-dollar player is going to come out of the dugout, take A-Rod's place in that game, play his position, and be his substitute. We all know what a substitute is. Listen to me. This is, is what Jesus has done for every one of us in this building. 34-year-old Cindy Perlin, true story, was horseback riding in Ontario, Canada with her 12-year-old son and her 8-year-old daughter when a mountain lion came out, scared the boy's horse. The horse reared back. The young man fell off of the horse. The mountain lion jumped on this young man and started to rip him apart in pieces. With compassion that only mothers in this room could ever own or understand. Cindy got off her horse. She grabbed her son, she threw him aside, and she took his place in that wrestling match. Park Rangers were there within minutes. but they couldn't get a clean shot off and they had high power rifles they couldn't get a clean shot off for fear of possibly killing Cindy because the wrestling match was so intense between their mountain lion and Cindy Perlin the mom and she was barehandedly wrestling that mountain lion 
the young man regained consciousness and he awoke to the fact that he had 60 stitches in his head uh, or that he had a gash in his head that took 60 stitches to fill. He had a broken leg and that's what the mountain lion did to this young man in a matter of seconds. Imagine what it's doing to the mother. This 12-year-old boy grabbed his sister, drug her and his broken leg about 30 feet over and they turned and they watched in horror as this mountain lion was just shredding apart Cindy Perry. The wrestling match broke apart for a moment. The park ranger thought, this is my window of opportunity. He took the rifle. He lowered it down. He squeezed the trigger. The shot rang out. And the bullet found its mark. It was an excellent shot. The mountain lion was dead. But tragically, so was Cindy Perlin. You know, Cindy Perlin did something for her son he never could have done himself. She got off her horse, she grabbed him, she threw him aside that he might live, and she took his place in that wrestling match. It was him who should have been wrestling that mountain lion. It was him who should have gone through that pain. It was him that should have been just ripped apart in pieces. My friend, don't you see it this morning that over 2,000 years ago, God stepped out of heaven in the person of the Lord Jesus, and he came to this sin-ridden world, and he took you, he took me, doing something we never could do ourselves, and he threw us aside that we might live, and on the cross, he took our place. It was us who should have had that rose Roman nails nailed through our hands. It was us who should have been beaten unrecognizable as a human being. It was us who should have had people spit in our face. It was us who should have drugged that Roman cross down the Via Della Rosa through the streets of Jerusalem. But listen, friend, Jesus took, listen to me, he took your pain, he took your sin, he took your hell, he took your pornography, your anxiety, your all your misgivings, he he took your jealousy, he took your loss, and he laid it all on himself. Herein is love. Not that God, uh, not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the substitute that satisfies for your sins. And you know what the question is this morning? What are you going to do with Jesus Christ? What are you going to do with the only person who is the only person that could do for you what needs to be done for your eternal salvation? It's not your good works. It's not your church attendance. It's not where your church membership is. It's all with what you do with Jesus in your heart. That's what makes the difference. What are you going to do right now with Jesus Christ? He's the only one that could save you from your sin. And you may be sitting here and and. God has brought recent history to your mind of how you've sinned, how you've failed, how you've partied, how you've lived engaged your flesh to the hilt in a wicked godless society and how you sin with no regard to a holy and a righteous God. There's payday coming someday. But you can be saved this morning. You say, preacher, you don't know what I've done. I don't know what you've done, but the Bible says the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. And the minute you say you're too wicked to be saved, you're calling God a liar because he said he can cleanse you from all sin. What are you going to do with Jesus Christ? He is the only person who can be your substitute that satisfies. He's the only answer for the power of sin. Would you stand quietly as we pray? Father, thank you for 
Lord, our time this morning, and thank you for your word. And we pray that you would just take your word, use it in a powerful way. And Father, we're praying that you would just save those who are lost today. Finally, help them to finally have hope and rest in what you have done, not in their own good works. His heads are bowed.